bitch, yeah? She took my money and she used my credit card to buy a shitload of fucking kiddie porn. And she got access to my Dropbox, deleted everything, got my contacts, met my best mate, sucked his cock, filmed it, spat his jizz out at her great-grandchildren. She did. She fucking did. Robbed my local grocer at fucking gunpoint, filmed, yeah? Her grandson's baby dying, yeah? And posted it, yeah? On YouPorn, yeah? And drove my, my fucking car, my actual car, into the Thames laughing. Acting Up podcast. That was Simon Stevens reading from his new and yet to be performed play. There's a strong argument to make that Simon Stevens is one of the most important living playwrights in British theatre. Constantly working for the last 20 years, his plays range from commercial hits like The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime to GCSE mainstays such as pornography and punk rock. From musicals, to Chekhov adaptations, from in-your-face theatre, to physical theatre, from experimental to verbatim. His plays have been performed on both sides of the Atlantic and of the Channel, and in every major theatre in the UK. He has collaborated with Ivo Van Hove, Katie Mitchell, Andrew Scott, Marianne Elliott, Jarvis Cocker and Jake Gyllenhaal. What makes him stand apart is his unique ability to show the violence of the everyday, the extraordinary impulses contained within very ordinary lives. Stevens is also a role model for young creatives. Warm, witty and generous, his Royal Court Playwright podcast could not come more strongly recommended. His work to mentor emerging artists exceeds the majority of his peers. When I first met Simon, it was part of a Q&A he was giving to students And over the summer, he kindly agreed to sit down with us and record an episode of this podcast. At the time, all Simon's books were being moved to make way for a new pair of shelves, giving me a glimpse of an encyclopedic range of influences. Interrupted once or twice by the dog, the conversation was exciting and it jumped from topic to topic, play to play. We hope you enjoy listening. Do you consider yourself a political writer? Yeah, unarguably for me, yeah. Indubitably. Um, but, um, of, you know, for me, every every gesture that anybody makes is a political gesture. Um, every decision that anybody commits to is a political decision. The decision of what clothes you wear, the decision of what coffee you drink, the decision of where you live or what you do with your first summer out of university is a political decision. You know, the, it's, uh, the, the human is the political animal. Mm. Um, and the gesture of writing, the, of any form of writing, is, is, is an absolutely political gesture. Mm. Um, it, because it's born out of a faith in the possibility of some kind of communication. It's kind of predominantly uh, a countercultural political gesture. I think regardless, almost almost regardless of the content of the writing, the gesture of writing is a form of transgression and it's a transgression built on a form of faith. So absolutely, uh, that's the kind of baseline. Yes, I'm a human, so I'm political. Mm. Um, Yes, I'm a writer, so all writing Mm. is political. And certainly all playwriting is political. Um, You know, there's a whole load of controversy in 
in the time that I've been working in theatre, um, I mean, a, a, a range of different controversies, one of which is why are there no right-wing playwrights, mm-hmm. um, which is a kind of, I always thought, a slightly absurd question. I think a playwright whose impulse is to conserve a culture ordinarily won't commit to the articulation of political ideas within their work. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of right-wing playwrights. They tend to be writing quite commercial musicals or or, or commercial comedies because the gesture of that work is to congratulate or retain a status quo. Yeah, it's reactionary. Yeah, yeah so um, in the work that I've tried to do, the impulse has always been to unsettle or to uh, interrogate. I've, I think, you know, I think as much as anything, my thinking about theatre and my thinking about playwriting has been informed by my work at the Royal Court Theatre. And one of the things that I've always cherished about that theatre is that it still builds itself on the principles defined by uh, George Devine back in the 50s, in which he argued for a theatrical space in which work which is challenging in either form or content mm. could be staged. And, and just that simple phrase, that our work should be challenging in either form or content, has been so fundamental mm. to everything that I've written, every play that I've written, that to deny the political nature of that would just be absurd. So mm. absolutely, unarguably, completely, yeah. yes, I do. And But then working within, I guess, within yeah. that kind of absolute statement, and yeah. within that absolute statement, not only that you are political, but the writing is a political act, mm. there must be moments of variation. There must be times in your life where you feel like you're making very clear choices to be more or less political, or you're making kind of decisions about the nature of your work at that specific moment. I guess it depends on what you mean by the notion of political. Yeah. In that sense. I've never really used plays to persuade somebody of Mm. a position, whether that's an ideological or political or aesthetic or philosophical position. For me, that's never been the the function of the plays that I've made, or at least not the conscious function. Um, What I've tried to do is is to unsettle or undermine. Mm. Quite often the plays that I've made for the Royal Court specifically that's been the case because you're kind of working into that room, working into that auditorium, working into that kind of environment that lends itself to that type of work. It's definitely <clears throat> noticeable that you are, throughout all of those plays, coming from an angle of being outside. Your characters are outsiders. And also the play, there's so much in your writing about space and those spaces are always outside that or underneath or underground. It's sort of suburban, it's, it's provincial, it's on the outskirts. I think that's always, it always seems like that foregrounds the idea of being undermining or against or... Um, Gosh, I've ne- that's really lovely. I like that. I've never consciously been mm. thinking about that. Mm. Uh, I think, I, but um, I think there's probably something in that. Mm. You know, that stuff has born out of intuition and instinct as much as it's born out of yeah. cognitive thought. You know, so I never kind of thought, oh, I'm going to write a play about uh, a bunch of characters on the periphery of a city or on the periphery of a terrain or the periphery of a culture because that ha- carries within it a political gesture. Yeah. Although I think it does. It's more just kind of like, oh, I really want to write about those people. I really want to yeah. write about that place. Yeah. And, and I kind of, I, I would cherish the unconscious and the, you know, in, in that sense. But I think you're right. I think yeah. you're right in identifying something that I've not necessarily been aware of. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. No, no, no. I, I shouldn't have been interrupting you. Mm. And obviously, I think like one of the big things that is notable about your work is 
like the presence of violence, which maybe speaks mm. of periphery coming into the centre and kind of exploding into the centre and making itself known in a very visceral way. Huh. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to talk to you about the, the decision or the multiple decisions or maybe the intuition, as you said, not necessarily a yeah. discrete choice, to include so much violence throughout your work. <laughs> <laughs> Why are your plays so violent? Um, yeah, it's really, it's. I mean, it's odd, isn't it? Because on one hand, um, I think it, op- it operates on kind of two two levels. As that there is an instinctive, intuitive kind of moment, which is partly just. I think violence on stage is great. Mm. It's really good. <laughs> I think it's really kinetic and really alive mm. and compelling. And our f- function. You know, I was v- verging into the kind of second level, but I, I really cherish that. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I think it's really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, and in, in the stuff that I, I think I write stuff that I want to watch. For me, when I go to the theatre, I want, um, I want plays, you know, to have a visceral effect on me. Mm. I want them to break my heart. I want to be kind of like crying my eyes out mm. or I want them to smash me in the face mm. and kind of appall me with um, the human capacity, whatever form that capacity takes. Mm. I also think uh, with this slight, you know, and this is often born retrospectively, often comes kind of retrospectively where I look at the work and I kind of think, what, have, what the fuck have I done? You know, what are you doing? Um, I, I think I can justify it with a more, with a kind of deeper level of articulacy. Or at least I've read essays by Edward Bond that sometimes I nearly understand, and he can explain it. <laughs> and on occasion, I, I understand his essays to the degree that I can steal some of his ideas. <laughs> uh, one of the things that he said was that... Uh, the function of the dramatist to, is to create a psychosis on stage mm. so that humans need experience it less in their life. Mm. I think in the end, the function of the theatre is to make humans better at being human, mm. more alert to their humanness. Mm. I think theatre is an empathy machine in that sense. Mm. And the, the, the most compelling way of doing that is, is to allow audiences to be alert to humanness and extremists. And in some of the plays, the extremists that I've been interested in has been a consideration of humanness in violent extremists. Mm. But I think that's an innately optimistic thing. Mm. Mm. I think I think I think I think there's a real moral core to Motortown. I think there's a real moral core to, to mourning. Mm. I think they're the opposite of um a play whose function is to conserve a status quo or to comfort or to congratulate an audience. What's really central to my um, thinking has been the transitive verb of the play. When I started off writing for theatre, a lot of people would um, ask me to consider what my plays were saying. And I never really liked that as a linguistic frame. Uh, I'm more interested in what the plays are doing to the audience. Yeah. I definitely find this today in a world that is itself very bleak and very violent and very, yeah. you know, depressing. Yeah. That that kind of combination, 
that that unique thing theatre can do of being essentially very humanist and very positive, but at the same time very very brutal. Yeah. Because it's flesh and blood, it's that kind of yeah, balance between that's the really two. Really nice. I like that. that actually I like that. I like that. About you know. The, I like that. Yeah. I mean, I guess also the the. the a lot of your plays not just depict violence and talk about violence, but also talk about depicting violence. So we see a lot of phone screens, we see a lot of yeah, right, 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 we right, see a right. lot of Hollywood movies, and we right, see comparisons right. drawn between this. Right. What is there for you as a writer? Ah. How do you ensure that you are not appealing to the base instincts you're talking about in those moments? How do you make sure that you are not pornographizing violence? Is that violence yeah, necessary? Do good, you check yeah, yourself, good. or do you good. do you write and then think? Do you like blowing those boundaries? Do you think there ever is the possibility of theatre becoming as sort of... That's a really good question. I need to do thinking about that. Um, because, because, you, because you invite me to think not in a theoretical way, but in an actual way about the actual plays that I've made. Mm. Um, I think the fundamental difference, uh, and I think in the end... To a degree, this is why I've been much more drawn to writing for the stage than for writing for screen. Mm. And I think there's something elemental about the form of theatre that means that that can never be the case. Mm. Because innate in the form of theatre is an absolute necessary acknowledgement of the pretense that we know that when you see somebody murdered on stage, they're not murdered. Mm. We know that as an audience. It's part of the contract. Mm. It's part of the contract. Like when we know we see people fucking on stage, they're not really fucking. Mm. Um, you know, nudity on stage is never erotic. Nakedness on stage reaches much more to a kind of emotional nakedness and vulnerability than it ever does to a pornographic mm. kind of like um, titillation um, because right in the heart of it is a constant reminder of the pretense is a constant reminder of um, the metaphor and carrying in that is a constant reminder of the human not humanist but the humanness mm. the humanness of the gesture mm. so we're you know and so when you're watching a play you're watching people can get very judgy about this but i think you know those moments when 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 people are excited like i'm just just come back from new york and making the show with jake gyllenhaal on uh, which i've not been working with but i was working with tom storage and jake gyllenhaal was in the show and you know he he goes on stage and people kind of scream and gasp yeah and there's a kind of oddity of oh my god it's jake gyllenhaal actually in the same room um and all the, and people can get very judgmental about that and i understand the judgment because it kind of speaks of a slightly cheapened celebrity culture but nevertheless in that moment there's a kind of gasp of the astonishingness of the humanness of the performer and the character at the same time in the same room. Yeah. And for me, that will always exclude the pornographic, yeah. I think, because we're, we're aware that we're watching a character, but we're also aware that we're watching a human portraying a character. Yeah. You know, it's the gesture of portrayal. And I, the one thing I would draw attention to, um, or I'd kind of just like respond to, was this notion, do I write and then think? Which I thought was very interesting. Uh, and uh, there's, there's part of me that would just really celebrate the the kind of duality of, um, of thought 
and generation material of language or utterance or image or gesture that happens. You know, when we write text, when we write a play, when we write dialogue, or you write a stage direction, or you write an action, to dis- or you write a stage direction that describes an action or an image, or you write dialogue or speech for somebody to say, that's not the end of the playwriting, because playwriting, I always go back to its spelling with a GHT, that we've wrought these things, not written them. Necessarily, whether it comes before or after, that's not the end. That's part part of the process. There needs to be a shaping or a formulating, and there may well be. I'm sure there are bits in the plays that I've made where I've kind of found myself daring myself. You know, there's something in the new play, Fortune. There's a speech in that which n- nobody listening to this, unless they listen to it in about 18 months, will know what I'm talking about. Mm. But there's a speech in that where I remember the process of writing it I could read it for your podcast listeners. That might be fun if I had it to hand. I want to, let's see. Let's see. So this is a speech in which, this is, so it's about a film director who comes back from Hollywood and he's in the throes of extreme nervous breakdown um, for reasons which will be clear if people come and see it. It's a play called Fortune. Uh, it will be on in sometime in 2020 or 2021 at the Riverside Studios. And in the writing of this speech, I definitely will have had a moment where I've been going, you can't say that, you can't mm. say that. Oh my God, oh my mm. God, oh my God, oh my God, what are you doing? And there's an immaturity to that. Mm. There's definitely kind of like ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, and childlike uh, and, you know, puppyish. And it's just like, oh, for fuck's sake, grow up. But then afterwards, in order to justify it, you have to think about it. And, yeah. re- and, and I would celebrate the impulse and purity that that extremity, that extremity comes from. But, the thinking afterwards is also part of the writing. Anyway, I'll read it just for you, just as a treat. Okay, I went to LA. Uh, <laughs> went to LA, nailed it. Easy that. No, sorry. So I'm making another film. Got the funding. Went to LA, n- nailed it. Easy that. You know what is bonkers? I met the Queen when I got back. Did you? <laughs> a-, a thing. <laughs> Dog wants yeah, a yeah, the dog, dog wants a I fucking love the Queen, me. We got on like a house on fire. She invited me back to the palace, saucy bugger. But she was fine. It was all kosher. We just ch- chatted. She's fucking ace, the Queen. But then, right, you'll not believe this. She only nicked my credit card, didn't she, out of my fucking wallet. I figured it out. It must have been her. She emptied my bank account, took everything, cleaned me right out. He's talking to some police officers at this point. And then the police say, the Queen did bitch yeah she took my money and she used my credit card to buy a shitload of fucking kiddie porn and she got access to my dropbox deleted everything got my contacts met my best mate sucked his cock filmed it spat his jizz out at her great grandchildren she did she fucking did robbed my local grocer at fucking gunpoint filmed yeah her grandson's baby dying yeah and posted it yeah on you porn yeah and drove my my fucking car my actual car into the thames laughing now, <laughs> in the context of the play, yeah. out of the context, that seems a bit kind of silly. But this is in the this is a guy who sold his, you know, he's kind of he's about to die, and he's in total despair. Um, and so I can justify every word yeah, of that yeah. uh, retrospectively. Yeah. I'm kind of doing it in a slightly silly way to kind of like uh, just enjoy the conversation and give you a bit of a scoop. Yeah. But there's a process of giddiness and silliness in that. But there's also a process of thought. So with with that extremity, 
of language. Mm. Do you think that in an age of extremities, is yeah. there, does, does theatre have a particular role to play? And I, how, do, how do we emphasise that? And how do young, how do well, young creators... I mean, so what in, what's interesting to me about that moment, yeah. in a way, is not, is weirdly not the extremity of the sexual imagery yeah. or the extremity of the transgression of him picking on, suggesting the Queen's into paedophilia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the extremity of a man who is that broken. Yeah. What The reason you can justify the speech is that in that context... This is a broken man. Yeah. Mm. And I think what theatre can do is reclaim the humanness, yeah. not the humanism, the humanness of that fragility. Yeah. Uh, and remind us that there is as much pathos and, and self hatred and fragility in, in the world of Donald Trump and Jacob Epstein and mm. Boris Johnson as there is anything else. I, th- I mean, I think we're living in a peculiar moment of fascism. <clears throat> I think there are people governing our country and governing the US and governing other countries in the world who have an end, which is a type of purification of the state, which is a purification of kind of neoliberalist capitalism mm-hmm. and white supremacy. But their means aren't violent, completely violent. And in Trump's kind of like weaponized uh, the ICE... But much more, it's about a dislocation of humans from themselves through technology. You know, much more. We don't, we don't need the fucking stormtroopers because we've got Twitter. And what theatre can do is deny that mm. by a constant reminder of the humanness of mm. all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, the, joy, the thing about theatre as well, maybe it's a privilege because like, not many people will see Motortown. So 400 people saw that a night for maybe a 30-night run. And because of because of its marginal nature, we can be bolder and we can be freer. There might, that's might, there might be something in in that, mm. but that allows me to be less afraid. It allows me to mm. be less censored. It allows me to aspire to a kind of greater honest honesty. Um, to kind of try and tell the truth a little bit more, and because so it central to to the form is the fact that the, we are in the same room as the actors whether they're Jake Gyllenhaal or not Jake Gyllenhaal you know, whoever, we're, we're nevertheless insistently in the same room as them and we're in the same room as each other mm. you know, we're sitting next to strangers quite often we sit next to people we've never met before and for a while we look in the same direction as other humans kind of try and tell us or act out a story for us or engage in some kind of like physical and articulation of what it is to be human mm. you know that has weirdly become a more radical gesture in the past kind of like 10 years than it ever was before without changing just by holding on to insistent reminder of, of the humans in the room mm. it's become a really radical gesture oh. Um, that's a sort of perfect note to wrap up on. That's <laughs> yeah, that's the message. Yeah, that's the party line. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Simon. It's absolutely my pleasure.